0: Island Church in Galveston, Texas, welcomes you to our podcast. Be encouraged by Pastor Rusty Martin as he teaches the Word of God. In your Bibles, if you will, we'll look at three portions of Scripture tonight and kind of go back to where we were last week, studying the subject of love. The Bible says, faith worketh by love. The Bible says, God is love. And love is the first fruit of the Spirit that should Show up in your life because you're required by God to walk in love toward God, toward one another, and toward the world. You get a better amen than that. Love should be the predominant nature of your life, and and the problem is many times we don't develop in love because we don't understand what exactly it is. Therefore, many times in the body of Christ, love becomes a weakness. You know, I've, I've heard all types of crazy rebuttals to things that people say about God, about doctrine about you know different things and and the rebuttal would be this well god is love well god is love people ask about people that live in certain uh, lifestyles that are sinful that the bible teaches against well god is love or activity that you know people get into and the, well god is love well listen love has never been a weakness as far as god is concerned amen it's not a weakness it's a great strength and love is the foundation for every other character that needs to come out of your life that has to do with forgiveness and compassion. Because without love, you'll never forgive. Without love, you'll never have compassion. Amen? Amen. And you need to walk in love so that you can be a forgiving person and have compassion in your life. Now, when I traveled, I was exposed to a lot of pastors that had different, how can I say this, different methods of pastoring churches. Everything from from, from just people that were extremely strong in their personality, strong and confident in their give, uh, gifting, to, 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 to people that were really intimidated by what they were doing. And I noticed of the pastoral ministry, uh, most pastors that I knew, they either became victims or villains. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, either they were victims of, of, the, of the, all of the turmoil, the strife that the enemy always tries to rise up in churches, or they became villains because they walked in authority and tried to stop a lot of that from happening. Therefore, they were uh, the villainized by the people. They're hard, or they're you know they don't walk in love, they and which none of that was true. Amen. Now you've got to understand something about a pastor. A pastor before he's anything else, he has to be a protector of the sheep. Amen. Amen. And the Bible talks about God spoke through the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20. He said, you got to be careful because within the the, uh, uh, move of God, the enemy is going to rise up from the outside wolves and from the inside wolves who are going to do everything they can do to chew up the flock. Well, this has gone on ever since Jesus rose from the dead and ever since there's been churches. That's what's gone on. And pastors are commissioned by God and given authority in order to stop that from happening, in order to bring unity into churches. Now, this is something you have to understand. Pastors are given a certain level of authority that most people don't operate in or don't, people don't have that don't walk in that office. That's why they are in an office, and that's why they have that authority. Now, that authority must be tempered with love because if you put authority over love, you'll go into legalism. You say, what do you mean by that? Anytime authority is placed over love, then you come up with rules and regulations. If you don't do it this way, or you don't do it that way, or you don't. I could always tell when I walked into a church in which the pastoral ministry walked in great authority and never really allowed love uh, to, to rise above that authority. Their, their love was always in submission to that authority, and love never operated like it should. You'd walk into the church, and everybody looked the same. Everybody had on the same clothes wore the same suit, the way, same ties. All the ladies wore the same dresses. Everything looked the same because everything was was rule-oriented and everybody was doing everything they could do to obey the rules of the house. Amen? Now, the Apostle Paul also writes to us and talks about how it is the Holy Spirit through the pastoral ministry that helps the pastors to to create what's called correct behavior in the house of God. Because you can't have anarchy. I've been in churches where there was anarchy. Lee and I were in one church, and, and it, it was, a you know, I had several hundred people in this church, and, and I don't know why the guy was so, uh, I don't know how I could say, it was uh, he as soon as I walked in, the first thing he'd do, he's walked up to me, and he said, I don't care what Kenneth Hagin says, we have dancers in our church. And I was like, do I look like Brother Hagin? And it was, I mean, he walked, I walked in, and he's already mad at me, you know. And so they had this production they wanted to do before I preached. And, you know, all things being equal, it was ridiculous. You were there. (laughs) It was absolutely ridiculous. One of the things that made it ridiculous is they had taken uh, bed sheets and made robes for the men in order to have them up doing this thing. And they had backlit it with these lights. And so all you saw these men with these these sheets on, and, and all you could do is see them stand there in their underwear. I thought, oh, my God. So we barely got through the morning meeting. I got up about half mad and preached the message. And so we went, he took us to lunch, and he said, now, now Sunday nights are free-for-alls. I thought, oh, boy, here we go. He says, we allow anybody to get up and do anything they want to do. So when we went to the hotel room, Lee and I got on our knees, and we began to pray, and we began to bind every spirit we could think of. And when I took the pulpit, nobody said nothing. And I got up and preached, and the first person to come to the altar to get right with God, with God was the pastor's daughter. Wow. Then we had two ministers that had been, were discouraged that were away from God that come up and got right with God. And God did all kinds of wonderful things. And after the meeting, the pastor came up to me and said, Well, I don't know what all that was, but it was God. That's what he said. I was like, okay, you know. So needless to say, when he called back next year, he was in the other file. But anyway... <laughs> But he was somebody, and bless his heart, he's gone on to be with the Lord and the church in there anymore, so I can say this and get away with it. But uh, uh, he was somebody who just thought that, you know, love, just anybody, we, we just love everybody, want everybody to do all this, and, and it, was, it was just out of order. And the problem is, you know, there's a down the middle of the road that God has for us all. And many times, people get in the ditch on one side or the other, but if you know that someone's in the ditch or something's in the ditch, sometimes you got to get on the ditch over here to pull people back into the middle. Amen? Now God desires or wants more than anything else for His children to walk in love toward Him, toward one another, toward the world. But that has to be developed on the inside of us and it has to be understood. Now one of the points we made last week when we begin to talk about this is the confusion that people have with the, with the Human love, that, that I, I think there's two or three different uh, definitions of human love, uh, get it confused with the agape or the God kind of love. Because basically one of the best explanations for, for the God kind of love, it is unconditional love without emotion, which makes it difficult for all of us to comprehend. How can you love without emotion? Well, the way you love without emotion is through action. Amen. The way you love without emotion is through action. That's the way God loved us. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, and therefore God's love toward us was the act of redemption that He performed on our behalf. His greatest act and greatest gift of love was Jesus Christ. The whole package, from Him coming down to the earth, from Him getting into a human body, from Him being born of a virgin, living a sinless life, having a wonderful three and a half year ministry, dying on the cross, raising from the dead, pouring His blood on the mercy seat, and today being seated at the right hand of the Father as our advocate and intercessor in heaven itself. He's still loving us. I said God is still loving us through Jesus Christ. Now, Romans chapter 5, real quick. We'll look at these scriptures, then we'll see if we can't. Make some sense out of this. Amen. We know Romans chapter 5 talks about glory and tribulation and tribulation worketh patience and patience uh, experience and experience hope. Uh, verse 5 says, and hope maketh not ashamed. Now notice this. Because, everybody say because. Hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Now notice that again. That the Holy Ghost sheds in our heart, spreads out in our heart, all over our heart, saturates our heart, love. Everybody say love. Love. But it's the love of God. So it's a defined love, which means the agape love of God. So number one, your love has to be unconditional. And you do not automatically, unconditionally love people. Now let me say that again. You do not automatically, unconditionally love people. It, it's just not there. Let me say this. It's not in your mind. Everybody says it's not in my mind. And it's not in your soul. It's not in your flesh. It's not in your emotions and it's not in your will. It is shed abroad where in your heart and that word heart is the word pneuma which is the word spirit which means god has taken your human spirit that has been recreated in the likeness and image of god through the new birth and he has saturated it in his love that's why it's Im- that's why it is so important to grow up spiritually and allow your spirit man to dominate you because your spirit man cannot dominate you any more than you yield to the Word of God and the Spirit of God's ability in your life to bring it forward. Everybody say, bring it forward. There is great resistance in every one of us to the love of God. So I just love everybody. No, you don't. You think you do. And that's the problem. We think we love everybody, but in reality we really don't. Now, go over to go over to Ephesians. I believe after these next couple of weeks, you will be loving everybody. And here's the thing that, that'll help you. It'll help you love yourself. A lot of people, that's, that's one of their biggest problems. They don't love their, they, they just don't love themselves. But when you find out how valuable you are in the eyes of God, you'll love yourself because of how God values you. Amen. Now, the great prayer prayed in Ephesians 3. I don't want to get into the whole prayer because if I do, it will get me in trouble. It says in verse 17 that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith. Everybody say by faith. So if I was to ask the question, how does Christ dwell in your heart? You wouldn't say, well, by feeling or because I got my name on 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 a church membership card or because I went to a Bible school. You would have to say, He dwells in my heart by faith. If I say by faith, that means outside of the sense realm, it is the word of God that convinces you of the dwelling place of Christ. Now let me say that again. Outside of the sense realm, it is the word of God which produces faith, which convinces you of the dwelling place of Christ. Where does Christ dwell in you? Now a lot of people say this. They say, well pastor, you know that's kind of a... You talk about Jesus being in heaven, sitting at the right hand of God. That's where He is physically. There is a physical body somewhere up there in the heavenlies in a place, in a location called heaven and of all the other spiritual things, there is one material thing. You say, there's a material thing in heaven? Yes, it's the body of Jesus. His flesh and bone body. You say, not flesh, bone, and blood? No, His blood's on the mercy seat. You say, then how is He alive? He's alive by the glory of God that pulses through His veins. That was God's always intent, was to return Him to His prior place of glory. Are you with me? So the blood was used as sacrifice And Jesus returned to his place of glory, but he is encapsulated in a physical body. You say, okay, if he's in heaven, how does he dwell in our heart by faith? It is the message that also is Christ. Let me say it again. It is the message, the gospel, the word that also is Christ. In the beginning was the Word, John chapter 1, the Word was with God and the Word was God. The more the Word dwells in your heart by faith, the more Christ dwells in your heart by faith. Now let me say that again. The more the Word dwells in your heart by faith, the more Christ dwells in your heart by faith. I think we quoted uh, Mom Ward, Mama Ward uh, the uh, Sunday morning. when he, we, She used to say, and I believe it to be true, you can have no greater relationship with God, with Jesus, or with the Holy Ghost than you have with this book right here. Amen. No greater relationship. Amen? We talked about communication, uh, fellowship, uh, relationship, and covenant. So you've got to get into that word. You've got to allow that word to be built into your heart to the point that it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you feel. It doesn't matter what you see. You only trust the word of God that's real. Amen. Amen. That's how he dwells in your heart by faith. Now notice what it says. That you being rooted and grounded in love. Now that's the word agape again. Now notice this. Christ dwells in your heart by faith, then He puts a foundation for Himself, for His dwelling place in your heart. What is that foundation? It is love. Love is the foundation uh, that is in your heart that becomes the dwelling place for Christ. That means everything in the Word of God must be viewed through the eyes of love. Are you with me? Now, I've seen there's just about every denomination, just about every uh, cult, just about every uh, religion has rules and regulations that defines them and gives them identity. I mean, you, you can talk about the Muslims, you can talk about the Hindus, you can talk about the Buddhists. You can talk about Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. You can talk about uh, people that are in, 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 in all kinds of Pentecostal religion or Baptist, or Methodist. All these different types of, quote, denominations and religions have standards for their belief. But many of the standards are not foundational in love. Right. They hope to obtain to love. They hope to express love through benevolence. But in reality, the foundation of that love it's not in their heart. Now, if you ever have the privilege of getting around someone who has developed this in their life or in their heart it amazes you. It's an amazing phenomenon. Uh, Several people in Leonie's life being around Teal Osborne. Every time I get around Teal Osborne, it's like being around Jesus. Uh, Wayman Rogers and his wife, we were able to uh, uh, hang around them some and it was just literally like being around Jesus. But another person that was not a great evangelist, that had no, uh, was not a great pastor, never built a great church, but had that love was Leah's mother. Leah's mother was never baptized in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. She was Catholic. But in her heart, she had walked so close to the Lord in what she knew, that there was a foundation of love in her that was undeniable. And that was divine. She never talked bad about anybody. She never tore anybody up. And she went through some pretty tough things in uh, living in South Louisiana, raising six kids, having her husband in the oil field all the time. He was a man's man, uh, a veteran of World War II, three years in the Pacific Theater. I mean, it, life wasn't a you know a, a bowl of cherries for her. It was tough. But she, listen, she was a woman that stayed in the Word that she knew. She was a woman that prayed. Amen. And she was a woman that walked close to God. And because she walked close to God, Christ dwelt in her heart by faith and she was rooted and grounded in love. I've met Baptist people like that. I've met Methodist people like that. I've met Presbyterian people like that. I've met all kinds of people like that, that it wasn't their denomination that defined them. It was the love of Christ that was in them that defined them as being Christ-like or Christian. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So we see it as developed. Everybody say developed. Now notice this. Let me get back up here again. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, depth, and height, and to know the love of Christ, which path is knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now look at that last phrase. Now we look at that and we go, yeah, okay. But look at that last phrase. That ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, now you got to hear, you can't just listen to that. you got to hear that. Do you really tell me, pastor, that there is a potential in man to be filled with all the fullness of God? Well, according to the Word, there is. Now, let me read this. I love it in the Amplified. I was looking at this in the Amplified, meditating on it. Listen to this. Back up at verse 17. May Christ, through your faith, actually dwell, settle down, abide, make His permanent home in your hearts. May you be rooted deep in love and founded securely on love, that you may have the power to be strong, to apprehend, to grasp with all the saints, God's devoted people, the experience of that love, which is the breadth, the length and height and depth of it that you may really come to know, practice through experience for yourself, the love of Christ, which far surpasses mere knowledge, without experience, that you may be filled through all your being unto all the fullness of God, may have the richest measure of the divine presence and become a body wholly filled and flooded with God himself. So that's the potential. That's the bar God sets for his people his children. <laughs> Amen. Now, it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in one service. But a lot of people, are just, they're just not aware that that is God's will. That is God's purpose. That is where God wants you walking, living, and abiding in such a position in which you're so saturated and overwhelmed with the Word of God and the love of God that when people get around you after they leave, they felt like they've been around God. I mean, that's literally what God wants. They feel like they've been around Jesus. They feel like they've been around something that is not like them. And every time they're around you, they recognize and realize there's just something about them that's different. And every time I get around them, I don't, my mind doesn't agree with what they say. My emotions don't agree with the way they act. But there's something in the side of it. It just draws out of it. Every time they get around I'm just drawing something. Well, what they're drawing is life. It's life in you that they're drawing out of you. Amen. And many times that's what brings people to a decision to become a a Christian or be born again. Now, let me just help you. How many of you in your life there was that person? Everybody say that person. You know, had that stupid smile on their face. You know, had that goofy smile. Praise the Lord. God loves you. Oh, Jesus loves you so much. And you, and you thought to you every time you got around him, it just repulsed you. You're like, get away from me. Ugh. I mean, if you just be honest, it's true. Every one of us had people in our lives like that. And so, you know, they just, but they were just persistent, you know. They were the ones that always put a little note of encouragement on your desk or something. And, and, and you know, maybe every once in a while they'd put a track or something. And you'd take it and throw it in the trash. You're like, man, I wish that damn Jesus freaks, I tell you. What are they doing? And, but eventually it wore you down. And what wore you down was what? The love of Christ. It was the love of God that wore you down. Now you're one of those ones with a stupid smile on your face. Amen. And the reason is, is because nothing in the universe is stronger than that. And God wants us saturated in it to the point where every obstacle that comes up against that love, you walk right through it in order to produce Christ in the midst of those that's never known Him. Amen. 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 Uh, What was that? I saw a sticker or sign one time that says, Preach the gospel with your life. If necessary, use words. A lot of people could, could really benefit by hearing that. You say, what do you mean? A lot of people preach it with the words, but they don't preach it with their life. Amen. Hey, man, you've got to learn to preach it with your life. I've got several people that are around me in life that every time I get around them, you know, I, I will be talking about something and they'll ask me something knowing that if they ask me that, it's going to stimulate a conversation about spiritual things. So I kind of just wait for them to do it. Because once they do it, they know I'm going to unload on them. And once I unload on them, they're going to go away feeling better than they did. Amen. You say, why? Because it's the love of Christ. The love of Christ. When I used to travel to Ireland a lot, for several years, now, I was going like three times a year. Man, they're coming back with testimonies of all kinds of awesome things that were going on. Lots of people getting saved, great miracles, all this kind of stuff. And I had some people I was hunting with over and Winnie. And every time I'd get back and they knew I'd been on a trip, that's the first thing they'd ask me. How was your trip? I knew what they were doing. And I'd tell them how my trip was. And I'm telling you, they wouldn't even interrupt the conversation. just be telling them, telling them, telling them, telling them. And you know, I'd tell them just like I'd tell you. Oh, we got in a meeting, the glory of God fell. Came in like a cloud. People got touched by the power of God. I'm telling you, we had a lady who was blind that got healed. I'm telling you, we had a lady who couldn't walk that got healed. I'm telling you, there was a man whose arm was destroyed. He got healed. I tell you, people were laughing and rolling on the floor. You know, they do call us holy rollers. They just laugh. Amen? But every time they get around you, it's the God in you, the Christ in you that they're drawing. It's their human spirit that's drawing on that because they recognize that's the source of life. Their mind doesn't recognize it. Their intellect does not recognize it. But their spirit man recognizes that is the source of life. Just like your spirit man did. That's why you're saved today. Amen. Amen. Now, go over, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, one of the reasons love doesn't develop in us to the point that it should is because of our judgment. The Bible says, judge not, lest you be judged. So we tend to be very judgmental, which is a kind word. And in reality, if you study the word judgment, you'll see that what we think is judgment many times is not judgment, but is more correctly classified as just flat criticism. That's what it is anything we don't agree with, anything we don't like, anything anybody does we don't like, anything that, that happens that goes uh, contrary to the positive flow of what we're doing, we tend to be critical of. And what critical criticism is is judgment in its basis form. Now listen to this, listen to this definition. I went and studied the word judgment and I always try to use the dictionary and then the, the, the concordance and try to formulate something that would not only just have a you know, a dry uh, definition of a word, but also a spiritual bend to it. That's why I look in the, you know, in the Greek and look in the Hebrew just to see if there's not something in there that might shed some light on what it is. Judgment. Now, judgment or to judge is a verb or in its verb form. The, 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 the scripture that says over in over Luke chapter 6, judge not, lest you be judged, literally, that's in its verb form. Amen. Judge in its noun form is a person. Amen. Judge in its noun form is a person. So that's easy. In its verb form, it means to form an opinion or an, ex- or an explanation or an estimate through careful weighing of evidence and a testing of its premises to determine... Can't read, read my own writing. To determine or prove after inquiry and deliberation. To go through a process in which a determined outcome is surmised. Now, how many of us in situations in life, we take time to thoroughly examine it? To try and understand why someone said something or why someone did something or what someone meant by saying or doing something that was received negatively by us. We don't do it. <laughs> we don't do it. What do we do? We automatically go into a critical mode. Did you hear what they said? And what we many times do is we, we predetermine a motive of that communication based solely on the communication. Amen. That's that's why why we get into trouble with people is we predetermine why someone says or does what they do without examining all of the different variables of why someone did say what they said or did what they did. Now I found this out. Unless you're just kind of drunk all the time, stoned all the time and, you know, Your your mouth is connected to drugs and alcohol and all kinds of crazy stuff. Most people have a little bit of a space in their mind in which there is a thought process that goes into saying something. I still like the, 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 the story about the second grade teacher that taught her children about words by giving them all a tube of toothpaste and giving them a piece of, now uh, what is it, the construction paper, and said, now now take your pencil and get all the toothpaste out of that tube you can get. And they, those kids worked and worked and, and got every last bit of toothpaste out. She said, now put it all back in. Yeah. And they all kind of just looked at her like she was crazy. She said, that's the way your words are. Once they're out, now listen, once words are out of your mouth, they're out of your control. Now let me say that again. Now this is, a you know, in this generation, this really needs to be something that is adhered to because of social media. Once you put it on the internet, once you write it down, once you put it on paper, once once your words are out of your mind, are you ready? They're out of your control. And they're in the control of the hearer. Now, if you'll, if you'll get that in your mind, you may take a little more time before you say things or post things or write things. Amen. Amen. Realizing that once my words are out of my mouth, I have no more control. People can take them and use them however they want to do it. If the people that love me, they're going to use them the right way. People that don't love me, they're not going to use them in the right way. People that don't know me, I don't know how they're going to use them. Amen. And then there is also, you have to understand... People everywhere hear differently. They hear differently. And when you hear different and recognize and realize that all people hear differently, then you've got to understand. That's why Jesus said, Don't be, be careful not only what you hear, but how you hear it. Listen. You can be, get, go through the house and, and stump your toe and, you know, get mad. Oh, man. And they got pain in your body and you're, you're upset because your wife left the light on and then encounter your neighbor and say something to them with such a tone or, 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 a, or a way of saying it in which you did, really did not mean to say it that way but you're mad at your wife, your toe is hurting and it came out of you exclamated by pain and disappointment. Amen. Amen? Well, how many other things? In our lives, does the enemy try to get us to communicate in such a way where the way we communicate it literally gets misunderstood? And you're like, I did not say that that way. I did not communicate that that way. But all of a sudden you are, quote, judged. Now, let me help you. go back to love. To the extent that you judge that in other people, will be to the extent you're judged by that. Now let me say that again. To the extent that you judge that, I mean, it's everybody that ever says anything to you, 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 you just take it apart, you try to figure out what the motive is, You do, I, mean, I mean, why did they say that? How did they say it? I mean, if you do that, then that's to the extent you'll be judged. You so I have a hard time communicating to people. That's because people have a hard time communicating to you. It always makes everybody happy, doesn't it? Amen. Now when you're a preacher or a teacher of the Word of God, that can be a dilemma. Amen. Brother Osteen, I mean, man, he was a master pulpiteer. I mean, he could teach and preach, but he was misunderstood. And so there was a group of African pastors that he paid for them to come over to a great missions conference he was holding. And and uh, they had listened to his cassette tapes for several years and been greatly blessed, but they wrote some questions down when they got to, to the states to Lakewood because they did not understand how he communicated. And two questions that were asked were this: one of them was, "What is a foley's?" <laughs> you know, foley's the department. I don't think I think they're out of business now, but back then there used to be foley's all over Houston. What is a foley's? And second, this is the second question, is Doty your dog? And Brother Osteen said, I read, for you that know, that's his wife. He said, for, for, for you know, for, uh, for the first time in his life, he recognized and realized, because he used to cut up with Dodie all the time. And in the old building, she sat in a chair and had the lights on. And she'd always cut the lights off. When he'd, you know, he'd, he'd say things like, I'm a handsome young man and, and, and tall and beautiful and I can't help, I'm married to an old woman. Well, everybody would boo and then they'd cut the lights off. And then the lights would come on 30 seconds later and he'd go on preaching. Well, there was people, if you weren't in the situation or in the thing and you heard that on a cassette tape, you'd think, who's he talking to? And why is he talking to him like that? So he adjusted some of his teaching and preaching, amen, because of some of the things. But he's still cut up all the time. He didn't let it stop him. But people are like that. Listen, let me just say this. It would greatly behoove whoever this is for, because I can't even say it like I need to. (laughs) Wasn't that good communication? This would greatly behoove whoever this is for to reach up to the sensitivity dial and turn it down a little bit. Amen. 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 I bought a boat oh, a couple of years ago and had a hard time with the motor. Now i had boats just like that, and motors just like that, and so they kept messing with it, messing with it, messing with it, and found out that they didn't have the right size prop. They had to go through four props, and they finally got the right prop in order to cause the the amount of water necessary to go into the intakes of the motor and cool the engine down. Now, this is what the technician told me. He said, 20 years ago, this would have never made any difference. He said, your motor would have run fine, never would have got hot, no problems whatsoever. He said, but now, every one of these stinking outboard motors has five computers in it. And everything is brought down to the littlest bitty where if you're off just a hair, it shuts the whole thing down. Well, I got news for you. That just painted the picture of our society. Where everything is brought, brought down to this little bitty where just, you're off just a hair, then everything goes awry. Did you hear what he said? Did you hear what she said? Did you hear what he did? Did you see what he did? And all of a sudden, you got all this turmoil going on. Amen because there's no tolerance. Literally, the phrase the technician used in describing the dilemma of my 140 Suzuki four-stroke motor was this, the tolerances are too tight. So everything has to run perfect. Now let me ask you a question. If everything has to run perfect in your world, how are you gonna maintain Because you are imperfect and you live in an imperfect world. You're around a bunch of imperfect people. you got imperfect children. You're married to an imperfect man or an imperfect woman. Life is imperfect. How are you going to deal with it if you demand perfection? And your tolerances are too tight. Amen? I've talked to a lot of people that just were a little too tight. Amen. And you get pressure on the tightness? Amen? You ever, you ever, I don't know if you've ever done this, that happens to people, we used to be able to work on our motors. You can't do it anymore. I mean, used to, we could change our plugs, we could, you know, mess with our carburetors, we could do all that kind of stuff. But if you ever were in a in a situation where you were pulling on a bolt or a nut trying to get it to break. And then all of a sudden it broke real quick, and you slapped your hand up against the sharp edge of a battery, or a, or, a, and it just, you know, just laid you open in the, you know, and, and that automatically that caused what? A sudden rush of emotion. Because something broke loose, and boom, all of a sudden you're hurting. And that causes a sudden, I mean, you kick the cat, hit the door, I mean, all kinds of, and you just, and it takes you about 10 minutes to get back to earth. Well, listen, that's how we've all been conditioned. So God says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to come into your life, you're going to get born again, you're going to become a new creature in life, and I'm going to go into the core part of your being, which is your spirit man on the inside, and I'm going to remove all that junk, and I'm going to put my love as the foundation for a new building of your character. That's why you've got to get away from the phrase, God made me like that. God did not make you like that. The devil did. The devil and your great-grandfather Adam made you like that. Therefore, you have to be remade in the likeness and image of God and the foundation of that becomes love. Oh, boy. My time's almost up. All right, I won't do that. Because if I get into that, it'll take me 20 minutes. So, just a couple of things and we'll close. still love me? go back and continually rehearse in your heart and mind through the word of God scriptures that deal with love look at Jesus in the gospels in his ministry especially to people who were unlovable or should not have been loved and watch his expression now you say cuz i you know we can get into the woman caught in the act of adultery we can talk about Zacchaeus who climbed up in the tree. We can talk about Matthew, the, uh, the tax collector. And we can see love manifest toward, toward them. What about the Pharisees? See, now there was a side of love you don't understand. And Jesus called them snakes. I mean... They tried to get religious with him. Go over there and read John chapter 6 and 7. I'm telling they tried to get religious with him and he so tore them up that at the end of that he turned to his disciples and said, Are you going to leave too? And they said, We don't know what you said. All we know is you're the ones with the words of life. But what he was doing with the Sadducees and the Pharisees who were the ones that put him on the cross... Was exhibiting love in a form we don't understand. Amen. Amen. He was trying to get them to see in the light of their religion and the light of their tradition and the light of what had brought them into a place of wretchedness to the point that they would not recognize the Messiah nor accept Him if they knew it was Him. Listen, if He would have, when they said, Show us a sign, show us a sign, if He would have done a sign, you think they would have changed Him? Signs don't change you. Only the word that has still hung him on the cross. So he had to leave them with something in them that would open a door where that after his resurrection there would be a question that they would have to answer, which is the question every man and woman on the earth has to answer. I heard uh, about a book. I think I've got it at my house. And it talks about Annas, the high priest, Annas and Caiaphas, and how, now I don't know where this came from, so I don't preach it as doctrine, but it is in this book. And it talks about his conversion, which was about 15 years after the resurrection of Christ, and how that Jesus appeared to him in a vision. And he cried out, the Nazarene, the Nazarene, the Nazarene. And how that when Jesus appeared to him in a vision, he fell on on his knees expecting judgment. And in his expectation of judgment, knowing that he was the one who gave the authority to nail him to the cross, Jesus reached down with his nail prints in his hands, lifted him up and said, I have made you acceptable before God. And Annas, Annas became a Christian, a born again believer. I don't know, how, where did they get that story? They, they had some documented Hebrew writings that they had found and this and that. But I think it's a even if it's not true, it should be. <laughs> you say, what do you mean by that? If Jesus were to manifest himself in front of him or Caiaphas, which were the two that gave the authority for his crucifixion, how would he treat them? Just like it was described. Not with judgment, but with love and mercy and bring them right into the kingdom of God. And for many people, that's what it takes, is the realization of the love of God being greater than any sin you've ever committed, than anything you've ever done, and the problem problem with you never really drinking fully out of that cup is you've really never forgiven nor loved yourself the way you should. That's why it's hard to love your children or love your wife or love your husband or love others around you because you've never really drank of the love of Christ in your own heart. You've kept it suppressed by your soul and by your flesh. And many times our excuse is this, well, you don't know what I've been through. Well, it really doesn't matter because the love of God has a way of dissolving that and getting to you, and getting into you, and through you, to the point where you can love your kids, you can love your husband, you can love whatever it is, and even if they've wronged you, harmed you, harmed you or hurt you. Let, let me tell you one more story, and, and we'll close. I was in Bible school with a guy. He had a, he had a great testimony. He, he and I kind of hung around. Uh, we kind of just, you know, were quiet and didn't make a lot of commotion like a lot of other people did, and so we kind of hung out and, and, and talked about it. He liked to hunt. I took him hunting a couple of times. His testimony was incredible. He was raised in the Assemblies of God, and he met his wife at a youth camp when he was in the Assemblies of God. They were both juniors in high school. And they dated, and I think their second year of college, they went to Southwestern Assembly of God Bible College together. Second year of college, got married. Got married, became associate pastors of a church. And, and life went on for uh, uh, several years. They had two, two sons, uh, both their sons at that time. This would have been back in the 80s. Both of their sons, one of them was, I think, 14, the other was 12. But about eight years prior to that, she met another man and got into an adulterous affair and uh, embarrassed the family, embarrassed the church. He lost his ministerial credentials because of that, because with the Assemblies of God, you cannot be divorced and carry Uh, uh, ministerial credentials he lost his credentials when he lost his credentials he lost his way to make a living because he was an associate pastor believing God one day to become a pastor of a church so all his problems in life were caused by his wife who was now his ex-wife so in prayer and in pain and in agony of all that he was going through he cried out to God and said God what do I do and the Lord spoke to him and said you need to stand in faith and believe me to restore your marriage and he was like, Lord, I didn't even know if I can forgive her. The Lord said, if you can come to a place of forgiveness in your life, I'll show you a miracle that will blow your mind. So he said, it took him several weeks. He gave the testimony to our class. He said, it took me several weeks of just speaking to the, to the hurt, speaking to the, to the hate, speaking to the unforgive, speaking to it, finally he came to the point where he could honestly say to himself, to God, and to his wife, I forgive you and I love you. Well, several years went by. I think three years went by. And she met another man and, quote, fell in love. And their wedding day came. And she marched up the aisle and stood by that man. And as the pastor opened the Bible and began to start the ceremony for her, for her to recite her vows with this other man, she looked at that man and said, I can't do this. I don't belong to you. I belong to another. And I've got to go back to him. And she walked down that aisle the other way. And went back and restored herself to my buddy, to my friend. And God totally restored that marriage, which was a great act of love and forgiveness. Amen. That's one reason we don't see more miracles like that, is because when we get hurt, when we get hit, instead of, instead of allowing love to do its work in us, we end up scarred. And like most people who are disgruntled do, you get enough of them around each other, they start having a scar showing. Okay. <laughs> Remember, what was it? What was that show? uh, Jaws, when the guy says, Yeah, this is where I got me. This is where I got me. Uh, You know, and we start showing off the scars of all of our pain and hurt, which every time you talk about it, makes the scar itch. Amen. So, we're going to keep going and keep looking at this. Is this helping anybody? Because faith worketh how? By love. love. And we want to be people of great love. Amen? Amen. Stand on your feet if you will. Father, we bless you tonight. Thank you for your goodness toward us. Thank you for Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith that we being rooted and grounded in love. Let every one of us tonight, Father, have a big want to deposit it on the inside of us to begin to explore the dimensions of that love and to experience it and share it with others. Lord, where there needs to be forgiveness, where things need to be put into the past, where pain hurt, and all the negative things of life that affect us, Father, that we must learn to walk in love towards, we thank You, Father, that healing, deliverance, forgiveness, mercy, and compassion come on top of that foundation of love and cause us not to react, but to act according to Your Word. Lord, as we leave tonight, we worship You, we thank You, for your provision of protection and safety. Let your blessing be upon us. As we leave tonight, thank you that we abide under the shadow of the Most High. Thank you, Heavenly Father. No evil befalls us. No plague comes nigh our dwelling place. Angels have charge over us. Thank you as we travel on the highways, the airways, the seaways, or the railways. We are kept protected and blessed. Thank you, Father, in the righteous labor of our hands. Wherever it may be, whatever we may do, thank you we're not subject to trauma, terror, wicked, evil plans of wicked men or the devil himself. We abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Thank you, Heavenly Fathers. We leave tonight. There is a door of utterance open for us. Let us walk in love toward you, God, toward ourselves, toward one another, and toward this hurting world where there's so many unloved people that need the love of Christ. Thank you, Father, as we leave tonight. We walk in faith and love towards you. We walk in love toward one another. Thank you for our church. We leave as the ambassadors of Christ you've called us to be. Thanking you, Lord, here at Island Church. We're covered by the blood, empowered by the word, and anointed by the Holy Spirit. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com. Hallelujah, Jesus.